Well, I had a pretty weird thing happen this morning. I was up early and flipping through the news on my phone, and I, I question whether I should say this or not, but I'm, I'm, I'm praying, and have you ever felt like God said something to you? This happened to me, so I'm, I'm, I'm like listening and I'm like, I don't want to say that. And I just felt like I was supposed to say this. And it's this. God told me that he wants you to give me your Phillies tickets for today. Okay? Now, don't, don't, don't blame me. This was God. He was very specific. We're talking... Row 30 and down. All right, hold hold on. Yes? A parking pass too, Lord? Anyway, you do what you think God wants you to do, okay? Well, a few years ago, the Barna Research Group did a nationwide survey of non-church goers, and they asked the simple question, if you could ask God one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what would you ask? Let me ask you that question. If you knew that God would give you an answer to any question, what would you ask him? Overwhelmingly, the number one response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Today, I wanna answer that question. Turn in your Bibles. Acts chapter 7, we're continuing in our series called Mission Critical. Today we begin in Acts chapter 7, verse 8, where it says, Now Stephen, let me just pause here and say, this is two months after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The early church came, the Holy Spirit came, the church started. Peter and John have been getting persecuted. The church is blowing up, growing, thousands and thousands of people And then we're introduced to this guy named Stephen. Who is this guy? Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And so Stephen comes from the Greek word Stephanos. So we know Stephen is a Greek. Stephanos is the Greek word for a crown. And it was the word used to describe what happens if you competed in the Olympics. They didn't give you a gold medal. They went out to an olive tree and fashion together a little stafanas and put it on your head. It's interesting why, when you see at the end, why the name stafanas is used. So so Stephen, he obviously was one of Jesus' followers while Jesus was alive. We didn't hear about him in the Gospels. We also know that he probably knew Greco-Roman rhetoric because of the ability that he had to debate and dialogue with people. Well, Stephen was so good as an orator that he started to draw crowds in Jerusalem and he caught the attention of the wrong people. It says in verse verse 9, opposition arose from members, and look at this, the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexander, as well as provinces of Asia, provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. Now look at this map right here. 
So we're told that there was a sunagoges. There was a, it comes from the combination of two Greek words, soon, which means together, and ago, which means to, to, to basically to be led, to, to come together. So basically there was a gathering. When we think of synagogues, and hopefully you can go to Israel with us next summer, Israel um, in, in, in Jerusalem, synagogues wasn't a separate building. It was basically a corridor. It was someone's house. It was an upstairs gathering place. And so when you go through Jerusalem on Sabbath, you will see lots of different people gathered together in different areas. And they're all doing this. Right? Torah. They're doing this as they're praying on the Sabbath. What Luke is telling us, the historian, is that there were people from Asia Minor. This is always called Asia Minor. This is Turkey, right? This is an area called Asia, but it was Asia Minor because the major Asia, Asia is over here, right? Asia Minor, over here in Alexandria, in northern Egypt, over here in Cyrene, and then a place called Sicilia. Now, we know in Sicilia, there is a little town called Tarsus. And who's from Tarsus? Might have heard that, right? Saul, Saul of Tarsus. So all of these people were people that were slaves. Now this isn't like the Atlantic slave trade in, in Europe or in the continental United States. These were slaves that were um, conquered from Germanic tribes up here. So if you were a prisoner of war, they made you a slave. Or if someone was in debt, uh, you became a slave. So these were all former people that were slaves that had lived 10 to 25 years as a slave, many their whole lives. So this was a rough group because these were like people that have been deeply mistreated, right? So the freedmen, these former slaves, so when you think of the synagogue, this gathering of the freedmen, think of people from all over who got really radical in their faith and they moved to Jerusalem and they all found each other, right? Now, when you think of the synagogue of the freedmen, um, Luke wants you to think of steel workers from South Philly in the 1900s, okay? So like, imagine if I said, we're going to start a tackle football team with guys from CCV and we're gonna start a church league of tackle football, how would we do? I can't be your quarterback. I've had too many arm surgeries, right? So, but we could do pretty well, right? Especially if we played a bunch of Mennonite churches from Harleysville, right? <laughs> we can take those guys. But just imagine if we had to play tackle football in the early 1900s against this group from South Philly. We're like, no, they're gonna bite our ears off. Like, no, this is not going to work out. And this is the vibe that um, Luke is trying to give. This is a group that found each other. And what I also want you to think of is um, where in our area are all of the women that are now head to toe burkas? How's that happening? Where are they coming from? And by and large, when I'm having conversations, it's originating from uh, the prison system where men are getting converted to Islam and their, their family members 
are getting then converted. And so I want you to think that's kind of like the vibe of these freedmen. These are, these are tough people coming from the Mediterranean area. And again, I just want to point out, we're told that there's a guy that was associated with this group from Tarsus that we're going to see is there. Now, what do we know? It says in verse 10, they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit uh, gave him, uh, the, the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Stephen was so powerful in speech that as he's talking back and forth with these rough guys who are giving him a hard time, Stephen is giving it right back to them. And so they're going back and forth and back and forth. Have you ever heard of the Wicked Witch of the East bro guy? Have you seen this guy on social media? Go ahead and play this. Wicked Witch of the East bro guy. When I think of Stephen... Okay, that's it, that's it. So that's what I'm thinking is happening. There is this, Stephen is having these crowds of people gather and all of the synagogue of the freedmen are going after him. Now, we know that Paul was not a Greco-Roman slave, uh, but he just loved, obviously, the fanaticism. So Stephen is getting attacked by these guys. Stephen is giving it right back. They're going back and forth and back and forth. And understand that these guys also played a role in the riot and uh, in the streets of what happened when Jesus was crucified. So these guys just were already there. Now, the synagogue of the freedmen couldn't stand up, it says, to Stephen. So it says, then they secretly persuaded some men to lie. They persuaded some people to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. See, the the freedmen, the, the They couldn't stop him, so they lied about him. Which is essentially what Jesus said was going to happen, right? To them and to us. Verse 12 says, So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. So there's this riot that's starting in the street. And these guys from the synagogue of the freedmen grabbed Stephen and took him to the Sanhedrin. And this is an actual photo from the first century. I did not grab this off of Google Images, okay? Now look, at so Stephen, obviously, they're going to take him to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, the 70-some the, uh, uh, rulers of the people. Essentially, these are business people. They were in charge of making business decisions in Jerusalem. And they had spiritual overtones. But they got on the Sanhedrin because they, uh, they had money, And they had businesses and land. So understand that these are serious charges against Stephen because it was the exact same charges that got Jesus killed. Verse 13 says, They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place 
and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. That's not what Stephen was saying. Jesus said that we are to observe the ethical parts of the Old Testament, of keeping a Sabbath, of of honoring the poor, all of these. Stephen wasn't speaking against that at all, but that's what they said against Jesus too. Verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw his face. They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Face of an angel. Again, original photo. So why why would Luke say he has the face of an angel? Literally it says Stephen had angel face. Ever know anybody has an angel face? Like, he literally says angel face. Now, it makes me think of this angel right here, right? Ah, Stephen's like, oh, sweet little cuddly wubby baby, angel face, right? That's probably not it. Other scholars think that when it says that Stephen had angel face, he looked like this, like Thanos from, from the Marvel movie, I will destroy you, right? That's not it at all. Stephen had angel face because what Luke was trying to convey is Stephen was innocent. That Jesus is described as looking that way. Like there there is this belief, right, that you can tell when someone's lying. Look Look at someone next to you right now. Look at them. Just look at someone next to you. You know when they're lying, right? You know when they don't have angel face. Right? You can catch them in the act. Right? You know. How many of you are sitting next to just liars? Just raise your hand. Just point them out. Right? Liar. I can see through that stuff. Right? And that's all Luke is saying is that you can just look at him and know, man, this guy isn't lying. He's not doing that. So it says then, then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? And then Stephen gave this incredible speech about how God had worked in Jewish history leading them to the person of Jesus and how Jesus was the Messiah. You can read about it this week. It's really, really long, but it's pretty powerful. But then he comes to the end. Stephen comes to the end of his speech, and how do you think he ended the speech? Did he end it, hey guys, this was obviously a misunderstanding, so I'm going to thank you for your time, but I will now excuse myself. Right? Did Stephen do that? Oh, no. No, no, no. He said, he looked looked at the Supreme Court of Israel and said, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You killed Jesus and your hearts and ears are metaphorically still not listening to what God is doing. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous ones, John the Baptist and other prophets. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Now, how did they respond? Were they like, thank you very much? Of course not. They were furious. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and had a vision. He saw the glory of God in Jesus, and notice it says, standing at the right hand of God. We're gonna come back to that. 
saying that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God is saying that Jesus was divine. And they were wrong for crucifying him. Because if Jesus was wrong and he was a false prophet, after he died, where would he be? Would he be standing next to God? No. He would have been judged and have been sent to where? To New Jersey. We know that. That's where you bad people go. At this, verse 57, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Again, I, I found a picture from this very scene. Here it is. So they're stoning him. And so Stephen became the first Christian martyr, the first Christian person to die because he was sharing the faith of Jesus. He was the first, but he certainly wasn't the last. We're told by the Center for Global Study of Christianity that over the last decade, every single year, over 80,000 people have been killed for their faith. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who's just watching this, who has been mentored by these people, caught up in the fervor of these freedmen. He, 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 he was attracted to these people. He was someone who was all in. And if they were going to defame the name of God with this stupid Jesus person, then bro, you better know I'm coming after him too. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And it says, and Saul approved of their killing of him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And the assumption is, if then they didn't recant, he did the exact same thing that he and his friends did to Stephen. Now, in the stories, I think we find some clues that help us answer the question, why does God allow difficult things to happen. And if we were to like answer this in the voice of Jesus, I think he'd say a few things. First is, I sometimes, I allow you to suffer to extend my kingdom. That, that sometimes he allows us to suffer to extend his kingdom. I think this is why those of you who have been gracious and kind, but firm for your faith where you work, this is why you have been talked about behind your back. This is why you have been excluded in different ways. That you may have not gotten a raise. That your family may think differently of you. Not to because like God was like super interested in having you have a bad time or a bad day or a bad week or a bad life, but because every single time someone is persecuting a disciple of Jesus, the Spirit of God is working in that. Like, I've told you before, if I wasn't a Christian and my wife drug me to this church, which would be a miracle behind or under my breath and to her on the car home, oh my gosh, I would make fun of me. 
the balding guy with the stupid beard and, you know, messes up his work. Oh my gosh, I would make fun of the music. I would make fun of the building. I would make fun. I would find every possible way to make fun of all of this on the way home. Why? Because deep down inside, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create distance between me and God. And if I can find fault in other people, that sort of like preoccupies my mind. And you've experienced this, or you will experience this. And what Jesus is saying is that sometimes he allows us to experience that because it's in our suffering that other people get to become Jesus. Like Matthew chapter five says, Jesus, blessed are you when people insult you. What? Blessed? Yeah, seriously. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they're going to persecute you, and God's going to use that in a powerful way. One of the first things that a seeker realizes when they become a Christian is that they have been grafted into a 2,000-year-old movement built largely upon the willingness of people to suffer to spread the good news of Jesus. The Apostle Andrew, you read about him in the Bible? Church history tells us he was crucified in the city of Edessa. He was strapped to a cross with ropes and hung for days before he died. The Apostle Peter, after having spent nine months in prison, church tradition tells us, during which he converted two prison guards and 47 other prisoners, he was beaten almost to death and then crucified upside down. The Apostle Paul, imprisoned in Rome, beheaded for his faith. The Apostle John is the only apostle to escape death. He was exiled to an island. And the Apostle Randall, was strapped to a chair and he was forced to listen to Taylor Swift's new album on repeat over and over, over and over again. And the story goes on and on from the very beginning until this day. You can rest assured that if you are a disciple of Jesus, at some point in your lineage, someone has suffered to make it possible for you. On Sunday morning, January 8, 1956, Jim Elliott, Nate Sane, and three other missionaries kissed their families goodbye and flew into the remote jungles of Ecuador to bring the gospel to a tribe called the Aka Indians. Thinking that the five missionaries had come to kill the members of their tribe, six Aka Indians met their plane at the riverbank and began brutally stabbing them until all five unarmed missionaries were floating dead in the river. And if the story ended there, it would be tragic. But it doesn't. And that's because against the counsel of many of her Christian friends, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, instead of wallowing in pity and anger towards God, went back to the tribe and through an amazing series of circumstances, led the six men who were responsible for killing her husband to Christ. And eventually, 10,000 people became disciples of Jesus. His journal that he had with him when he was killed, in that he wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
Second, I think Jesus would say, sometimes I allow you to suffer to deepen your faith. Like, do we become better? Do we develop character in good times or in difficulty? Right? So that's with Stephen's situation for sure, right? So James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I told you before, uh, when we went to try to build a house, we were defrauded, essentially, um, by a builder. And it was one of the worst experiences of our life, but we're so thankful that we didn't do that. We're so thankful, and it just made us patient. Especially as we talk to people who are buying homes, or people who are like... um, oh, I really want this. I'm really praying for this. God, God, you have to come through and you have to do this. If you don't come, I'm gonna be so disappointed with this relationship, with this job, with this particular sir. You have to, God, I really want this. I really, God, you've come on. God, you've gotta do this. That's where we were with this house, right? And then I'm telling him, no, no, no. One of the hardest prayers to pray is, Lord, if it's your will, if if it's your will, then I want this to happen. How many of us have been in situations and we got what we wanted and we're like, we wish we hadn't got that? How many of you are sitting next to someone you wish you hadn't gotten? Just kind of point at him right now and say, "Mm, God really has a work to do in this guy's life. Number three, finally, I think Jesus would say, sometimes I allow you to suffer and I can't tell you why. But one day I will. I'll never forget when the guy who mentored me after I became a Christian, his name is Jeff, one of the greatest men I've ever known. He was so excited because he was having a girl. Three boys. He was going to have a girl. And when she was born, soon after he realized she was born with Down syndrome. Why? Another one of our dear friends, her dad wasn't feeling real well and went in for a checkup and a month later just died. In his early 50s, just died. Why? My brother-in-law, his father and sister and brother died within months of one another, one from Alzheimer's, one from cancer, and another one from heart attack. Seriously? Like my whole family now? Another friend of mine, his daughter was born. He was so excited until he realized that she had tumors behind her eyes. And she's blind to this day. I prayed and cried with and struggled with hundreds of dear Christian friends who were verbally, physically, and sexually abused, had miscarriages, and more miscarriages, and more miscarriages. Friends who were raped, lost a child at a young age, couldn't have children, suddenly diagnosed with a terminal illness, or had parents abandon them. It's always the same question. What possible reason could you have? Don't you dare tell me that this is making me better. And and in circumstances like this, I'm like, I'm not going to tell you that. This I'm not going to tell you that. 
Now, this is why I wanted to point out what Stephen saw. If I were Stephen, I don't know about you, but if I got rounded up before the Sanhedrin and then they took me out to stone me, it would have looked like this. Here's the deal. I'm going to take at least two of you with me. Maybe three, right? I'm, I'm possibly taking five of you down. There's no way I'm going down without a fight. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Let's, you know, come on. I, you know, I would, there's no way I'm going to let that happen. But Stephen knew that there was a bigger purpose. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And while he got hit with the first stone and the second stone, and they're holding back his wife and his kids and his friends and the other disciples wanted to jump in all of this it says that he had a vision I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God now listen whenever the Bible talks about the son of man which is an Old Testament name which Jesus took for himself it's always the son of man is seated next to the right hand of God. The Son of Man is sitting down on the throne next to God. But Stephen, as he's going through this, Jesus is now standing up. And he's looking. Does he intervene? No. But Stephen had a glimpse that, unfortunately, many people have gone through terrible things, haven't had, and we have to see this in Scripture, that as you're going through this, and as you were going through this, Jesus is standing up and he's looking at you and he's with you. But most importantly, what he's not giving you is an answer. And that is a blessing. And unfortunately, through the years, people have attempted to give you a two cent answer to a trillion dollar question, why? And Jesus is saying is I'm not gonna belittle what you're going through in this life, the tragedy and terror of it. Because in your mind and in your language and in your little understanding, without seeing the totality of what's gone on before, the totality of what will happen and ripple through generations, without your ability to see that, you deserve an answer from me directly. And one day we will sit down and I promise you, I will give you an answer. But right now you deserve me. You deserve for me not to say anything. You deserve that. Our Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful that when we suffer you encourage us not to ask the question why, but you encourage us to ask the question who? If I've gone through this or I'm going through this, who are you going to help, Jesus? Help us to see who this is going to benefit. Help us to see who I can take my experience and I can share it with and I can be an encouragement, I can be a help, I can be someone who are going to, that, that can help bring other people closer to you. We thank you that there is an answer, even if we can't see it now. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.